We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, it's near the back of your Bible. Uh, Paul writing to a, a church in this weirdly named place called Thessalonica. It's a pretty cool name, actually, uh, Thessalonica. Someone should open a restaurant with that name. It just sounds good. 1 Thessalonians, this letter that Paul writes to those in Thessalonica. He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. I feel like there are some people here this morning that are frustrated. People that are frustrated with their lives. People are frustrated with themselves. People are frustrated because they've been holding out for something from God that they feel just isn't coming through. People that feel like there's, there's a specific stone in your shoe that just won't go away. Something that just makes you feel like you're not present, that, you're not, that you can't focus on anything else. There's, a, for a lot of people, a frustration even in their walk with God where they feel like they can't connect. They, can't, that, that they don't know how to connect with God. And uh, we're going we're to talk about that a little bit today. But I want to read this. First Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself, the God of peace, not the God of chaos, not the God of disorder, not the God of brokenness, but the God of peace. That's, that's who he is. May he himself sanctify you completely. To be sanctified means to be changed so this is what Jesus does. He changes you in a moment, you're perfected. It's a crazy thing about the gospel. We'll look at some scriptures that show you this today. But the moment you put your faith in Jesus, guess what? The old person is gone and all things have become new. Anybody who believes in Christ, you are a new creation. You are not the old person. But then there's a process by which God helps us to believe and to think about ourselves according to the new nature, not according to the old. And as you do that, your life literally changes. It changes. And that's sanctification. It's a process by which God causes us to become what he's already made us to be. Does that make sense this morning? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Just turn to the person next to you right now. Just say, he who calls you is faithful. Come on. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. He who calls you is faithful. God is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. There's nothing that makes me more emotional or, or that overwhelms me more when I'm reading the gospel, when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm thinking about what Jesus has done, more than the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. In spite of how faithless we are sometimes. It's incredible. It's life-changing. It's dependable. It's secure. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and we're going to go into a few things this morning that I hope will encourage you, but let's just pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that you're the one who speaks, that it's your spirit that moves, that it's your spirit that changes, that it's your spirit that touches. God, we thank you for your faithfulness this morning, Lord, faithful to show up, faithful to change, faithful to deliver, faithful to save, faithful to rescue us this morning. Lord, we pray that as we open up our hearts and minds, that you would just speak. We don't want to hear the philosophies and theologies of man, but we want to hear the heart of God, the heart of the Father for each one of us. And so, Jesus, we, we just thank you for your presence and your spirit in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed... Um, but we live in an instant world. We live in a world that pretty much wants everything instantly. I mean, we're at a point now where waiting more than one day for something is a challenge for most of us, right? From the food that we eat to the stuff that we buy. I mean, at, at this point, you basically go online to any store. You want to buy anything. You just go online, you order it, and you're irritated if they can't deliver it on the same day. Right? They'll deliver anything, anywhere. I mean, if they, need, if they need to bring helicopters dropping like boxes from the sky, as long as you can get the stuff that you ordered. We want stuff 
instantly. Everything needs to be quicker. Everything needs to happen uh, in a moment. And, uh, and we've, we've, we've become this world, this society that doesn't really value waiting for things anymore. Doesn't value taking time over things anymore. We want everything right now. No waiting, no queues, no delays, no programs, just right now. And this is, there's nowhere that this is more evident than if you visit an airport or if you take a flight somewhere. Right? Have you noticed how it doesn't matter how chilled you are going to the airport? It's like the vibe, the culture just sweeps you away. And before you know it, you're rushing just like everybody else. Even if you're there four hours, some people try and beat the system. So they're like, I'm going to go four hours early. I'm going to have a cappuccino. I'm going to relax. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to be rushed. I am committed to not being rushed. And it doesn't matter when the boarding call comes on or when you see the queues form. There's like something that happens where we just rush. And so people do that. They get to the airport and they're just like basically running. Those little wheels on the bags are just like spinning. There's like a little bit of smoke coming out, the rubber at the bottom. And just all the way to the, to the counter. First of all, if you've wrapped your bag, this is Jobik. So you've got to wrap your bag, wrap it nicely. You wrap it, you wait in that queue, you rush over to the queue. And you rush, you run there, you get there, and then you wait. And you stand in that queue for like 30 minutes. And eventually you get to the front, uh, you, you check in, you do all your stuff, they, they take your bags, and then you rush straight from there, you rush all the way through uh, to the terminal. You get to the terminal, you stand in another queue, and then you wait for like another 30 minutes for the queue and the security check, and you take everything out of your pockets, whatever, and then you're in, and then what you do is you, you're finding your gate, so you're running and you're rushing all the way to the gate where your, your plane is going to board from, and you get to that gate, and then you sit down and you wait a little bit more. And, uh, and you just wait and wait for another 30 minutes or an hour, d- depends. And, and then it's amazing. It's like everybody, everybody in the waiting room, they pretend to be so relaxed and so chilled. But they're actually just waiting for that announcement. And the moment that announcement comes, they are already basically packed up and ready to be the first one in the queue. When they say this flight is now boarding, everybody just jumps up at the same time. You know, I try to be a rebel sometimes. I try to be like, no, I'm actually going to sit and wait. That's like crazy. I'm going to be crazy this morning. I'm going to wait while everybody else stands in the queue. But people jump up, they stand up in the queue, and then they wait even longer in that queue as the flight starts to board slowly. And then they're on the plane, and when are we going to take off? When when is this thing going to get into the air? I can't breathe properly here. I need some air con. I need to get into the air. You get into the air, and you're literally counting the minutes to land. You just want to land again. And when people land... And this is the funniest. It's like, you know that you're not going to get off this airplane quickly. You know there are only two doors and like 400 people. So you know you're going to wait. But people can't even wait for that little ping and the, and the, and the seatbelt light to go off, right? They're rebels, the lot of them, all of them. Before that light is off, they are quietly undoing the buckle. Because they're going to jump up first and they're going to get all of their stuff out of the overhead compartment before anybody else. And then what they're going to do? They're going to wait. They're going to wait because the doors are still closed and the airplane is still moving. And so that's just how we are as people. We want everything instantly. We want everything to happen uh, instantly. We rev our engines at traffic lights. We can't wait. Like, you know, if, if you're driving up to a, a, a red light, if there's a space, if you're going to park behind a car, you'll move next to him because you want to be the first over the line. Right? We, we, we click agree on terms and conditions that we have never read. I heard somebody say that iTunes could literally put, can literally put the entire text of Mein Kampf inside of the iTunes user agreement, and everybody would just be like, agree, agree, agree. Right? We don't want to read stuff. We don't want to take time. We spend our money every month before we've even gotten it because we don't want to wait for anything. And we get an idea, and we just want it to happen instantly. I'm a, I'm a lot like that. When I get an idea in my head, I want to do it, and I want it to be done. Like, I just want to complete the task at one time. And, uh, and my wife has, has had to bear this burden uh, during our 10 years of marriage with me being like this. When I get an idea, I'm the kind of person who shouldn't start cleaning the house. Because before you know it, if I really get committed, I've pulled everything out of every single cupboard. I've basically moved us onto the driveway so that I can repack the entire house. And I'm fixing things. And, I'm, and then what happens is after like a week and a half of that, uh, it takes too much energy and time. And then half the stuff just stays out, which 
which obviously isn't ideal, you know. My, I've, I, I love photography as a hobby. And, uh, and at, some, at times I've wanted to buy expensive lenses and stuff. And, and I don't want to wait. I don't want to save up. I'm about to go on a trip somewhere. I want to just buy the stuff now. And so my wife would sometimes come home and she's like, where's that chest of drawers that were here? That was here. I'd be like, no, no, I, I sold it. I sold it. And, uh, and she'd be like, but and, and that chair? You know, I felt like we needed a new one at some point. So I've let that go as well. And after a while, I'm like, but look at this lens. I got it. I got the lens. She's like, but we need furniture. We need, so anyways, that's something she's had to deal with. And um, I'm slowly buying furniture back again. But the point is that we are impatient and we don't always believe in a process. We don't always have faith for a process that God wants to work in our hearts and in our lives. And so what happens is we apply this mindset to God. We apply this mindset to how God is supposed to be working in our lives. We, the, crea the creations, go to God, the creator. It's like the clay going to the potter and we asking him, what are you doing? Because I just wanna be fully formed right now. I just want the stuff that I said I wanted. I just, where is the instant miracle and the instant thing and the instant change and the instant, all of that stuff? I want it now. We get frustrated that God doesn't stick to our timeline because we're so desperate to have what we want. This is a major part of where faith comes into our lives. Do you trust God to work according to his own timeline. It ultimately comes down to, do you trust God's goodness and commitment to your life? Do you trust his involvement? Do you trust all, all the promises that he gave you that he said he would do? But we're human and we're fallible and we're flawed. And so we get frustrated. We see this in the Bible with, with Abraham. Abraham gets a promise from God that he will be a father of many nations. And he is pumped about this promise because he wants kids and he wants lots of kids and, and he wants to, to leave behind a legacy. And, and, and so he is so excited about this promise that gets given to him. And he holds out and he holds out and he holds out. And God comes again at one point and reminds him, you will have a child. I will bless you and I will make your descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham's like, that's so awesome, that's so great, I'm so pumped for it. But you know what passes? is time, and time, and time. 15 to 20 years later, Abraham's in his tent, and God shows up. And God says, here I am, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I will make your descendants. And, he, and God reconfirms, reaffirms his promise to Abraham. You know what Abraham says? God what are you gonna give me? What are you gonna give me? Abraham knows that he's nearing 100 years old. <laughs> come on, that would make doubters out of the best of us, right? You wanna have a child, you're nearly 100, you're like, my time's come and gone. What are you gonna give me, God? God does this amazing thing. The Bible says that God brings Abraham out of his tent. He says, Abraham, look at the stars. Did I not promise you that your descendants would be like those stars? He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. And the Bible says that Abraham, against all hope, believed in hope. Against all the evidence, against all the circumstances, against everything that was facing him, he believed that God, he trusted in God, and it's that trust that was accredited to him as righteousness. Some of you may be expecting that miracle or looking in the mirror going, God, when am I going to change? When am I gonna get rid of this thing in my life? When am I gonna start doing things differently? When am I gonna start making a mess of these things in my life? And there's a frustration when we feel like God isn't moving quick enough or fulfilling the plans that he has for us quick enough. I wanna spend a little bit of time this morning talking about a guy in the Old Testament called Joseph. You've all heard about Joseph and, 
and uh, the story of Joseph, how he uh, went into Egypt and, and how he was the youngest of the 12 brothers of Jacob, who was later called Israel. And, uh, and just the whole story of Joseph, how Joseph was the last born, the youngest child. And uh, because uh, his dad was already, Jacob was already pretty old when he had him, it was, he, he was kind of favored a little bit. You know, he was the Lot Lamiki of Israel, right? And, and so he was, he was favored. His dad bought him the best clothes. He got this multicolored uh, thing, which I think back then must have been pretty amazing. Imagine, I mean, everybody else is just walking around with like normal sheep kind of, you know, cloaks. And, and, and here comes, here comes Joseph. His has color. Actual color, pretty amazing for way back then. The shepherd that's just in multicolors. That's how much his, his dad loved him. And, uh, and so when Joseph was 17 years old, God gave him a dream. In fact, two dreams that he had about his future, about what would happen in his future. How many of you have a dream for your future? Come on, how many of you have heard from God about your future? You're holding out for something. You're believing for something that you believe God is going to use you to do in the future. Something that can, can inspire you and encourage you, but if it delays, you can wonder if God has forgotten about you. Here's the thing. God gave Joseph these dreams because God had a plan for Joseph's life an incredibly important plan for Joseph's life. And so in this act of, of grace to make Joseph aware of it, he gives Joseph a glimpse of the dream that God has. You see, when God shows us what he wants to do in our lives, it's always only a glimpse. He doesn't show all the in-between stuff. He doesn't show all the days of discouragement and struggle and, and prayer and hardship and suffering. He doesn't show every bit of the process. He just says, hey, just to encourage you, when those difficult times come, I wanna tell you, this is where I'm taking you. This is where I'm taking you. This is the plan that I have for your life. And that's what God does with Joseph. He shows him this glimpse. We see it in Genesis 37. And verse five, it says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They were already a little bit jealous because he was the, his, their dad's favorite son, but they hated him even more. He said, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bow, bowed down to my sheaf. All your bundles bow down to mine. Later on, he, he had another dream, and it was about the sun and the moon and the stars, and there were 11 other stars, and they all gathered around this one star and bowed down to that star. And ultimately, these brothers instantly knew what the dreams meant, and they, they, they spoke to Joseph, and they said to him, are you telling us that we're gonna bow down to you? You're the youngest in the family. Even his dad, even Jacob was like, son, you need to stop eating meat late at night because what are you dreaming about? Our whole family bowing down to you? You see, this is what we do often when we're immature and we receive a glimpse of what God has for our lives. This is why God needs to work a process in our lives because when you receive the glimpse of the dream, guess what? You're too immature to fulfill it. Right now, I'm still too immature to fulfill the dream that God has for my life. And so what does God put me into? A process, a process. He takes me through moments. He takes me through hardships. He takes me through things that I need to battle with and, and deal with, all the while working on the inside of me. So God gives you a glimpse and, and when we're immature, we're like, we wanna tell everybody. Hey everybody, I'm the next Billy Graham. That's not me, I'm just saying. Uh, some people say, I'm the next, I'm the next Catherine, I'm the next this, I'm the next that, I'm gonna do this amazing things. I'm gonna, and then you think as a young person that you can skip all of that. Hey, God's gonna use me to build a company that's gonna bless thousands of people. God's gonna use me to, to do this. God's gonna use me to do this. God's gonna, gonna, gonna do this in my life. And we often wanna go around declaring it to people and everybody's looking at you going, you're being foolish, you're being immature. There's a process that 
God needs to work in our lives. But the dream that God has for your life is still God-given. As audacious as it may be, and, and I can put it to you this morning that if your dreams aren't audacious, if the things that you're, you're trusting God for aren't so big that they're, that they're basically impossible, then they're not big enough. Then you, then you need to go back to God and hear about what God has for your life. Because He wants to do incredible things. And this is not just about achieving success in a company or in a, in a, in a church setup. This has got to do with your own family. This has got to do about the kind of person you become more than anything else. I love what Bob Goff says. He says, hope is not all the things that we would like to get in life. Hope is what God is turning us into. It's actually the, the person that God would cause you to become one day. The mature, loving, kind, compassionate gracious, spirit-filled person that every person in this room is going to be. That's what hope is. That's what we're holding out for. God has this purpose and, and plan for your life. But we want everything now. We want to skip over the process and we just want it now. But God works by a journey. He works through seasons. He works through experiences. He works through a process that looks like something. And it tests us in those moments to see if we can trust God. God does this because he knows he first has to do something in you before he can do something through you. He first has to change certain things before he can, he can, he can use you the way that, that he wants to use you. And, and, and I've prayed a prayer from when I was young, from when I was in high school, and sometimes when I think back on it, it's a pretty scary prayer, but I remember specifically saying to God, God, take me through whatever you need to take me through in order for me to become the person you need me to be. There's so much, there has to be so much faith and trust in that statement. God, whatever it is that I need to go through, however difficult, however challenging, I'm willing to go through it so that I can do what you've called me to do. In this journey, everybody's journey is unique, but there's always, almost always frustration and hardship involved. There's almost always hardship involved in this journey. Hurt, pain, suffering. But there's so much hope in our suffering because we know that God is working. What are you facing in your life right now that you're like, I don't want to face this. I don't want to go through this. Some of you may even be worried that you're getting close to being lost, that all of this hardship and all of this difficulty and all of this pain could actually swallow you as a person and you could lose the person that you were before. Let me tell you, when you're in the hand of God, you cannot and will not be lost because He is sovereign and He works in our pain and through those moments. He's delivering us. He's changing us. He's doing miraculous things. We see this in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul is going around and he's preaching and, and, and here he's in Corinth and he writes this letter to Corinth, to the church in Corinth. In Corinth. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, egotistical, puffed up with pride, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So here's the thing. God takes Paul, and he wants to use Paul to deliver the gospel uh, to the whole Gentile world. And so he's having these revelations of the goodness of God and, and the grace of God and, and, and the power of God that, that are so overwhelmingly huge that Paul could so easily become full of himself. That, that's sometimes the biggest problem with Christians. We get a revelation from God, we get a dream from God, we get something from God, and we instantly become full of ourselves. We think that we're God's gift to earth. We think that we, we know it all and that everybody else is wrong and we, we, we paint the whole world according to our ideas. Christians are 
so often, too often guilty of this. So Paul says, because of the greatness of the revelations that I'm having, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Paul has to battle literally a demonic force that's harassing him. And so he prays to God, says to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. How many times have I not prayed that prayer to God? God, just can you take this thing away? Why did it happen? Can you make it stop? I don't wanna face it. I don't wanna deal with it. I don't want, why am I in this situation right now? What did I do wrong to deserve this? How many of you have asked that before? This is God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. That's the thing. That's the thing. There is nothing that you can face in this life that will beat you. Nothing. We often say here at Anchor Church, whatever happens, we win. Whatever happens, we win. Whatever happens in your life, you're going to win. Even if it feels like you're going through hell right now, as I think Charles Spurgeon said, keep going. Just keep going. Because God's grace is sufficient, no matter what. His grace is sufficient. God cares more about you than about your comfort. That's become quite a cliche in Christian circles, but it's true. He cares more about you than just you having this amazingly picturesque, perfect life. He wants to do something. Listen to this word because it's come back to me again and again. He wants to do something expensive in you. Not cheap, not quick, expensive, substantial, solid in your life. You know, I love it when I go to an Italian restaurant and on the menu, if you're ordering a lasagna, it says allow for an extra 30 minutes. You know why I love it when it says that I have to wait an extra 30 minutes for a lasagna? Because I know they're making it from scratch. It's not a pre-bought frozen thing that they quickly popped into the microwave and then served to me in a nice looking dish. This thing was made properly from scratch because things that are made properly take time to make. And you can taste the difference. I would wait the 30 minutes for that lasagna rather than having them bring out some store-bought frozen thing that they've quickly warmed up. How much more so with our lives? Do we just want a quick fix? Just a, hey, quick, I did this and then I did this and now everything in my life is supposed to be perfect. Or are we willing to trust God through the process of the expensive, time-consuming thing that he is doing in your life? To build proper relationships, to build a good marriage, to build a good family, it takes time. It's not an instant thing. It takes time. To build a worthwhile career and to follow the purpose of your life, to pursue your passion, it takes time. Achieving the dreams that God has put in your heart, it takes time. And so James writing encourages us in James 1 verse 3. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Just pause there for a moment. Let this not be scripture that just goes over our head. Hey, count it joy. When you face trials, hardships, sufferings, difficulties of various kinds. How many of you know that various kinds? We all know what various means, right? We, we face it week by week, the various in our lives. It's never like you only have one thing to deal with. It's like stuff just stacks up. And you're like, if I could just take on things one by one, I would be able to handle this. But oftentimes it's like this full-on assault. So he says, actually, be full of joy when you face all these trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces steadfastness, stability, maturity. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Man, that's an incredible scripture. Hey, are you going through hardship? Hey, be, be glad about it. Be happy about it. God's producing something expensive. He is making you steadfast. And once that is steadfast, you'll, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, when God takes us through hardships, he's often not trying to, to, to break something off of us as much as he's trying to, or, or, or trying to, he's not trying to harm us, he's trying to set us free. We just don't always realize the difference. I've used this analogy before, but I'll use it again this morning, of a lion that's caught in a trap. I recently saw a photo of a lion that had, uh, that had been caught in a trap in the Kruger Park, and one of those snares had a wire, this wire around his neck, and and I've, and I've often used this analogy that if a ranger had come across that lion while it was caught in the snare, the ranger's goal with that lion would be to set it free and to see it healed. But in order to get the lion free, the process of getting the lion free from the snare would, would most probably cause the lion even more pain than it's already experiencing. Here's the thing about a lion. It has limited perspective. All it knows is this hurts and I want to kill whatever's hurting me. <laughs> it doesn't see the bigger picture. So when we go through pain, we often go, why? I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't, I don't know what God is doing. And it's only in hindsight that we realize, oh, wait. Jeez, God was actually setting me free from some stuff. I'm so grateful for it. I mentioned to you a little bit earlier when we, when we celebrated Mornay Militia that, that my wife and I struggled to have kids. And in that moment, when we, when we had those ectopic pregnancies and, and, we, and we lost those babies that we had, we lost a baby and a set of twins in one year. And we, just, we were just overwhelmed. We didn't understand the, why it was happening. But you know what God did through that? Through that and a bunch of other pressure in my life, He finished me. He finished all of my strength. I burnt out completely. I was sick for eight months. I was burnt out. God drained me of all of my strength. And you know what he did then? He showed me Jesus. He showed me Jesus. This is the gospel, Adrian. You don't have to do this in your own strength. I am, my grace is sufficient. I am compassionate. I still have that plan for your life. It has not been taken away. It has not disappeared. It has not dissipated. It's there. It's yours. And I'm preparing you for it. I saw Jesus change my life. Absolutely change my life. Everything I preach now is as a result of what God has done th through those things in my life. If you ask me now, Edwin, would you go back and if you could choose to not lose the babies, rather have them? I'd say, no. I don't want to change anything about my process. Why? Because I wouldn't know Jesus the way I do today if it wasn't for the process he took me through before. I wouldn't be able to stand up here this morning confidently sharing with you the goodness of God if I didn't have to taste it myself and test it myself. I can tell you God is good. I can tell you he's got good plans, no matter what you're facing. He says, count it all joy when you're facing trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith. Now, when people hear that scripture, they often think that God's gonna throw you a pop quiz like a Bible study quiz. Oh, the testing of your faith. Do you really have faith? Okay, what, is it, what does it say in, in, in Mark 18? Verse, whatever. What, what does it say in this scripture? What, is it, what does it say in, in, in Jude chapter two? You don't, you don't even know that there is no Jude chapter two. There's only one chapter in Jude. You didn't even know that. That's a quiz. And that's what we think. God's testing my faith. Am I really a Christian? Am I, am I really the, the, you know, the guy that I'm supposed to be or the, or the woman that I'm supposed to be? But that's not what this means when it speaks about the testing of your faith. This is not God putting you on test. This kind of testing means, it means proving your faith. It means purifying. If you test to see whether something is pure, that's what God wants to do. It means God removing the impurities from something. He's removing the, he's making it more and more pure. Your faith, he's distilling it, making it pure, making it substantial. Removing the elements of false, false faith, establishing us in the gospel, grounding us in his love, planting us on the rock 
of Jesus Christ. So Joseph has this incredible vision. But before he could fulfill that vision, he needed to go through the the process. There was no instant arrival for Joseph. There was no internet sensation. He didn't upload something onto YouTube and everybody was like, man, look at that coat. This guy is the bomb. Let's have him over. No, Joseph goes through a severe process, 17 years old, and God takes him through a series of disappointments, rejections, hurts, ups and downs. He has these amazing dreams and his brothers are like, we hate you. Have you ever shared something about what you believe God has got for your life and people are like, "Mm, okay, so you think you're better than us? That's exactly what happens to to Joseph. These dreams are, are shot down. He gets rejected by his brothers who plot to kill him. And then he's thrown into a pit. They decide, okay, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into this pit. And they throw him into the pit. And then as he's in that pit, by God's grace, some traders, some Midianites come by. And they go, hey, one of the brothers goes, hey, why kill him when we could profit out of this? Let's sell him into slavery. He just had this amazing dream from God. And now he gets sold into slavery. And then there's a process that Joseph goes through that is so long that even the Bible skips the details. Even the Bible, even Genesis is like, wait, we're not going to tell you the whole thing. It was long. There was a process. That's all you need to know. Because we hear about Joseph and this whole story in Genesis 37, 38, the whole chapter, the Bible's like, we'll talk about something else for a while. Joseph's in Egypt. That's all you need to know. (laughs) And we only pick up with Joseph again in Genesis chapter number 39. And we see that he had been sold into, he had been taken to Egypt and sold to Potiphar's, into Potiphar's house to serve Potiphar. And Joseph must have been like, I can see this. God gave me these amazing, imagine having amazing dreams like that from God. You know, this is from God. And you go and you start sharing them. You're just so excited. And then the next thing you're in a pit, you're sold into slavery and you're in a foreign land serving somebody as, as their slave. Can you imagine just the, okay, we kind of went the other way on that one, right? I thought this was gonna be an amazing journey, how God was just gonna exalt me, and here I am, a slave in someone's house. The Bible says that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. See, God doesn't leave you in the difficult times. He doesn't leave you at any stage in this process. He keeps working, he keeps working, he keeps working. And so Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's house. And before long, he is the head of Potiphar's whole house in Egypt. Very important position to be in. And Potiphar's wife, the Bible literally says Joseph was a good-looking guy. Good-looking Hebrew boy. And Potiphar's wife fancies him and wants to sleep with him. And tries to get Joseph to sleep with him a couple of times. And the last time, she literally grabs his cloak and he runs out of the house naked. And so she's mad at him. So she goes to Portofin and she said, Joseph tried to sleep with me. Look, he has his coat. He came and lay down next to me and, and I had to scream and then he ran out of the house naked. She falsely accuses him. You know what happens? He gets thrown in prison. Joseph's like, when am I gonna get a break? I'm just starting to make some headway in this area. I'm just starting like my life is getting back together again. And then this. And it's false. It's a false accusation. I shouldn't be in prison right now. And he sits in prison. Do you know what the Bible says? God was with Joseph, even in the prison. These two other guys, a cupbearer and a baker, they have dreams. And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams. And so the one wasn't a great result. One dream resulted in the baker uh, being uh, put to death. But the cupbearer, Joseph, interpreted his dream that he would be restored as the cupbearer of the king. And three days later, he gets restored. And Joseph says to him, just don't forget me. I'm here in prison, man. I interpreted your dream. Don't forget me. The cupbearer goes to, to, back to Pharaoh, forgotten. Forgets all about Joseph. And Joseph stays in that prison for two more years. Come on. I think every single one of us would doubt what God wants to do in our lives if he keeps telling us these amazing things are gonna happen, but we find ourselves falsely accused, forgotten, 
and rotting in a prison cell somewhere. Can you imagine? That would be like, okay, well, that's it. I'm done. There's nothing left for me. But God was with him. God was with him. Listen to this. Genesis 39 verse 20 says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was, in, he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. It's a thing. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God's love for you does not change. God's commitment to you does not change. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Even in prison, Joseph is flourishing. Even in our difficult moments, we can flourish. Why? Because God's with us. Then two years later, Pharaoh has a dream that he, can't, he doesn't understand. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer's memory comes back and he's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's a guy in prison who interpreted my dream. At the right time, God calls Joseph forward. At the right time, God calls him out. And Joseph is restored. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. And that dream was about a coming famine that allowed Egypt to store up grain and whatever they needed for the famine so that when the famine that lasted seven years hit, Egypt was able to survive it. And not only survive it, but save the lives of the people in the surrounding areas. God had a plan for Joseph. He needed him at the right place, at the right time, to save people's lives. And before long, Joseph is literally the head of Pharaoh's house. This is something that God did. It's, it's, it's so evident that, that, that God was at work and that his spirit was at work. You see, what we need is not just God giving us our dreams, but God preparing us to walk in those dreams. We need God to work on the inside of us, preparing us for those dreams. Later on in, in Genesis 41, I don't have the scripture up on the screen, but Pharaoh says this about, about Joseph. He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? See, sometimes God has to get us out of the way of our own destiny. He has to get us out of the way of our own destiny. So that when people look at you years from now as God has taken you through a process, they won't go, oh, that, that guy's great at doing that or, or, or that person's great at doing this. They'll look at you and go, the Spirit of God's in that person. There's something expensive in that person. God has done something there. It's, that's not human. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's not just good sense. There's something supernatural about that person's life. When God takes us through the process, the pride is able to die. The ambition is able to be laid down. The, the self-dependence that we have is able to, to be laid down. And you know what happens? We stop taking ourselves so seriously and we actually become compassionate people. When God takes you through a process, at the end of that process, you know what? You won't be all about you. You'll be all about Him and other people. That's, that's the result. That's what God wants to do. We realize then when our dreams come to pass eventually that it was never really about us. Your dream is not about you. Your dream is about God and how he's gonna use you to bless others. That's hard to grasp right now because we're like, no, but I want it to be about me. Yeah, but at the end of the process, you'll be like, I, can, I see it now. I see now how God wanted to do this in me so that I could bless others. It's always about how God would want to use us in the lives of other people. Later on, Joseph sees his brothers. They come back to him because they're looking for food. And when they come back to him, he could have had a hard heart. 
He could have been vengeful. He could have, he could have thrown them into prison. He could have done anything. They're coming to him, and, and they were actually afraid. They were worried about what this guy might do. But here's the incredible thing. Because of the process that Joseph had been through, God has kept his heart soft. God has softened his heart. That's what God will do through pain in your life, through difficulty, through the process. He'll soften your heart. Look at this. Genesis 43 verse 29 says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. This is Joseph seeing Benjamin. They don't recognize him yet. His mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother? He pretends like he doesn't know him. Of whom you spoke to me. God be gracious to you, my son. He's just already overwhelmed by by these feelings. Look, it says, Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. These are the guys that sold him into slavery, who plotted to kill him, who hated him, the scripture said. And he comes back and he goes, I just, I just give me a moment. And the Bible says he runs into his room and weeps so that the whole house of Pharaoh heard him. Soft heart. God's done something here. God's done something here that's real. It's real. He receives them. And he says this in Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. There are people in your life that have meant evil against you. There are situations that have meant evil against you. But God meant it for good. You meant evil against me. There's evil in your life right now that looks so bad, but God is gonna use it for good to bring about, listen, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's the result of the process. Here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't turn around. Don't turn to the side. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and just be faithful to the process. Just be faithful to what God wants to do in your life. Just, be, just, just keep going. Just keep trusting. Just keep standing. And when you have done all to stand, keep standing because God is at work in your life. This is not an airport. This is not something to rush through. This is your life that we're talking about. There's no dress rehearsal. There's one life that you get to live on this earth. Let it be God's. Let him do what he wants to do. And that's what Jesus does. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering. Who's that single offering? It's Jesus. In one single moment, when Jesus died on the cross, he perfected you for all time. And now he's sanctifying you to become what he's already made you to be by that single offering. It's all about Jesus. There's so much hope in this because it means that Jesus is our sanctification. He is the one that's doing the work. He's the one, you're wondering, okay, how am I gonna become more like Jesus? Guess what? All you need to do is trust God. He's the one who does it. He is sanctifying you. In a, by one offering, he perfected those whom he is now sanctifying. Jesus will sanctify you. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will bring that process to fruition. We just need to stay faithful. Tim Keller says, Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So here's the thing. God is making a plan for your life before you even know that you need a plan for your life. God has made provision for your times of trouble before you knew that the times of trouble are even coming. That's why he said, sent Joseph ahead. It looked like betrayal. It looked like slavery. It looked like hardship. It looked like prison. But what it was, was redemption. 
What it was, was God's provision. What it was, was God's process to bring Joseph to a place where essentially Israel could say, God sent Joseph ahead of us to make provision. And that's what he did with Jesus. He sent Jesus ahead of us to make provision for our sins. God has made provision for our shortcomings. God has made provision for our, 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 uh, our sinfulness, our lack, our imperfection through the person of Jesus. He's already done it. He's already paid it. I'm gonna finish this morning just by going back to that scripture we read in the beginning. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Who's gonna sanctify you? Who's gonna change you? Do you have to change yourself? No, you don't have to change yourself. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who does the changing. Are you gonna save yourself? You can't, even if you tried. You're not gonna be able to save yourself. It's not your job. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who's gonna save you. He's the one who rescues and delivers. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about you, your spirit, your soul, your body, every, every bit of you, may it be kept blameless. How are you gonna keep yourself blameless? How are you gonna keep yourself blameless? Guess what? It's also not your job. It says, he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. He will surely do it. I don't know about you, but this makes hope rise up in my heart because I know how many shortcomings I have. And when I look at that and I go, I'm just gonna keep doing what Jesus calls me to do. And I know that he's gonna cause me to become who he's made me to be. Oh, it's so incredible. Don't give up this morning. Don't give up. And you look at yourself in the mirror and think, I should be different by now. Don't give up. Just be faithful to the process. When you feel like there's a sin in your life that you're never gonna overcome, don't give up. Just be faithful to that process. When you want to be more like Jesus, just keep your eyes fixed on him. When you feel like your God-given dreams are slipping away or your life is falling apart, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up. Be encouraged this morning. God is working in your life. He is working in your life. He is working in your life. If we go through the story of Joseph, we see that God never left him. From the dream to the pit to the palace, God never left him. God was with him when his brothers wanted to kill him. In that moment, the traders come by. God was with him when he was sold into slavery. God was with him when he was at Potiphar's house. God was with him when he was in prison. God was with him when he interpreted the dream to Pharaoh. And God was still with him when he met his brothers. And this is what I wanna tell you, God is with you. So trust him. Because he who calls you is faithful. And even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. None of us will be lost because he's faithful. Amen? Let's pray together this morning.